Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And my fear happened again where my, my iPad's not turning on. So um, does somebody have my sermon out there that they can hand me? Um, maybe it'll come up here in just a minute. Um, I have no idea what's going on here. We can go the old-fashioned way. I don't like turning pages, but that's why I, I really use this. So... Um, Give me just a moment while you guys are turning there. We'll see if this loads because it's a lot easier to, to do this. Luke chapter 10. All right. We'll see you later, iPad, and we'll go from there. <laughs> okay, so about 10 years ago, we began praying as a church for an unengaged, unreached people group in South Asia. Now, because we're on live stream and this is being recorded, I can't tell you exactly where that is, but most of you know that we've gone on mission trips to these places, and so these are, this is a, what's called an unreached, unengaged people group. They're in the high mountains, they're in tribal areas in South Asia. Um, sometimes we've had to, to travel over some pretty extensive terrain to get there. We've had to hike, we've had to go on motorcycles, we've had to go in jeeps uh, to get to these very remote places. And they're identified as what we call a UUPG, an unengaged, unreached people group. Now, what is a unengaged, unreached people group? It is a people group in the world that has relatively no church, no missionary presence, no Bible in its language. It's a group of people that really has no access to the gospel. In other words, they are so remote or such enclosed areas that they've never really heard the name Jesus. They don't really know the gospel. And so through our praying as a church, we've been able to see God do some mighty things in this people group. Ten years ago, they were considered unreached. Today, they're considered reached because of the efforts that have happened over the past ten years. A Bible has been translated in their language. We've identified a church planter who's planted churches. There's a missionary presence. So, so God has done a great work of helping an unreached people group get reached. Now, there is a ministry called the Joshua Project. I'm not sure um, if you guys have ever heard of the Joshua Project. But the Joshua Project, if you go to their website, there are over 17,000 people groups in the world today. Now you ask, what's a people group? A people group is basically a group of people that are bound by the same language, the same ethnicity, and the same culture. Now they may be living, like for example, when we go to South Asia, there are multiple people groups even within a town. 
because they have the same culture and the same language. And so there's about 17,000 people groups in the world. Does anybody know how many people are in the world right now? 7.84 billion people on planet Earth right now. We're, we're almost close to 8 billion on planet Earth. Now, here's the kicker. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7,400 unreached people groups in the world. You want to know how much that is? 3.2 billion people, almost 42% of the world's population is what we consider unreached. They've never heard about Jesus. And if you look at a map, it's all across the Mideast and India and kind of that 1040 window. So can you fathom in your mind over 3 billion people right now who've never even heard of Jesus? They don't have a Bible. They don't have the privileges that you and I have and the blessings we have. Now, I want you to think about your privileges. Okay, don't raise your hand, but how many Bibles do you own? How often do you go and use your YouVersion app on your phone? How often do you listen to K-Love in your car? Or go to YouTube and watch something about the gospel? Did you grow up going to Sunday school or vacation Bible school? How many camps, mission trips, retreats have you gone on? How many Christian concerts have you attended? How many Christian videos do you own? When was the last time you went on Right Now Media? If we're not careful, we can lose sight of the wonderful privileges and blessings that we have in America of really an overexposure to the gospel. There's no shortage of gospel resources. Now, why do I bring this up this morning? Well, first of all, we need to understand, if we're going to be a church that's serious about missions, we need to understand just what we're facing in the world of lostness. That 42%, almost 3 billion people in the world right now are living in darkness. They're living in false religions. They don't have access to the gospel. They are unreached. But the second reason I bring it up is that we need to be reminded of the privileges we have as American Christians. With all the access, all the exposure, all the resources we have to the gospel. Don't ever take it for granted. So if you remember from last week, we are in a new section of, of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10 now. But last week, we realized that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And he had set his face to go towards Jerusalem. And so this is a new um, part of Luke where he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem to face the cross. And so... As we enter into chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples on a little mission trip, like the 72 go on a mission trip. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be following in the footsteps of Jesus in preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we've already seen this in Luke. So in Luke chapter 4, 
verses 43 through 44, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus was sent out to preach, and this is very important, the kingdom of God. That was his message, the kingdom of God. Now, at the beginning of chapter 9, when he sends out the 12, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So now we come to chapter 10, where Jesus is going to send out 72 to do the exact same thing that they've been doing all along. So let's pick up in chapter 10, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. This is a very difficult passage of Scripture that's going to bring to light some truths that maybe you've never heard before. But I want to ask four questions of the text this morning. Four questions. So let's ask the first, which I think is an important one. What is the context of the mission? What's the context of the mission? Well... This is a short-term mission trip where 72 are being sent out two by two. Now, why does Jesus appoint 72? Now, some of your translations may say 70. There's a lot of scholarly debate. Was it 70? Was it 72? If you go back to some of the earliest manuscripts, probably the best evidence is that he sent out 72. Now, let's ask the question, why 72? Is this like a symbolic number? 
Where do we get the number 72? Here is my best, my best option to give to you after, after doing some study. If you go back to Numbers chapter 11, Moses appointed 70 elders to help him minister in the power of the Spirit to the nation of Israel. Remember, there are about 200 people in the wilderness. And if you go back and you read Numbers chapter 11, 26 through 29, he added two more names to the 70, Eldad and Medad, which made really 72 elders that Moses commissioned. Now, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration that we saw a few weeks ago, Jesus is there, and Moses and Elijah are talking to him. And what are they talking to Jesus about on the Mount of Transfiguration? The exodus, the departure. So just like Moses, who appointed 72 elders to help him minister, Jesus, just as Moses, appoints 72 to help him minister in the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus sends out the 72. But where are they going? This is very, very important when you study this. By the way, when you study the Gospels, and I've had to do this every week, when you study a passage in Luke, it's important to see what Matthew and Mark teach. Okay? John's, it's on its own, but what we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell many of the same events. And so you have to go back and see what does Matthew say about it, what does Mark say about it, what does Luke say about it. And when you bring all three together, you get a composite of what's going on. So you go back to Matthew's Gospel, and you find out where they're going. Luke doesn't include this, but Matthew does. In Matthew 10, 5-7, the twelve went out. These these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, there's some scholarly debate. Why does Luke include the 72 and the Matthew and Mark don't? The point is this. They are going to the Jewish people. This is not a mission trip to the Gentiles. It's not to an unreached people group. They're going to Jewish people, Jewish villages who've grown up in their synagogues, reading about the Messiah, knowing that there's a king coming, those that should be prepared to receive their Messiah. So they're going to the lost sheep of Israel. And we also need to understand that this particular mission trip of the 72 sent out two by two, this is kind of a, a one-time thing. It's not really a prescription of necessarily how we should do missions today. There's nothing wrong with going out two by two and going and doing things like that. But this was more of a, a one-time thing where Jesus sent them out to specifically the Jewish people. Now, it's important that we share the gospel with all people, not just the Jews, okay? This is, this is a specific time and place where after Jesus rises from the dead, and he's going to commission his disciples with the great commission to go into all the world. Okay, so Jesus is going to tell us to go into all the world, but for this specific time and place, it's very important. Jesus is sending these 72, these disciples, to the Jewish people, to Jewish towns. So don't go into Gentile areas. Stick with the people of Israel as they would be prepared to receive their Messiah. And Paul talks about this in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
And you really see that pattern in the book of Acts as well, where the gospel goes to the Jews first. So, so this is a mission trip, short term, to the Jewish people to get them prepared to receive their Messiah. So that's the first question. What's the context? It's 72 being sent out to the Jewish people. Now here's the second question. Why does Jesus command them to pray earnestly? Look at verse 2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. When you think about our world, there are over three billion people who are the harvest the issue is not the amount of lost people the issue is the amount of workers going out to the lost people there's lostness all around us there's no shortage of lost people the issue here is laborers it's interesting what jesus asked them to pray for now, Jesus doesn't ask them to pray for lost people. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for lost people. We should pray for lost people by name. Pray for the salvation of your friends, your family. But notice what Jesus specifically asked them to pray for. Pray that God would literally kick out, is the Greek word there. God would kick out or thrust out laborers into the harvest field. When was the last time, and I've been thinking about this this past week with Vacation Bible School and the missions track, when was the last time you prayed for God to raise up missionaries in this church to kick them out the doors of Emmanuel into the nations? When was the last time you prayed earnestly, God, we need more workers, we need more missionaries, we need more church planters, we need more pastors. Would God kick them out? Would God raise them up and send them out do you pray earnestly think about the odds here just the numbers if there are three billion unreached peoples in the world right now we are going to need more and more missionaries and church planners are we praying earnestly for god to raise up these people to go to the nations so Pray earnestly because the harvest is plentiful. There is no shortage of lost people around us. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. But there's also another reason why they need to pray. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be difficult. Look at what verse 3 Jesus says. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of of wolves. Disciples, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face hostility. You're going to be embarking on a mission that's going to be very difficult. You're going to go into these villages, cold turkey, and, and share the gospel. And some people are not going to like that. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dangerous. So you need to pray. So, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for laborers, but also pray for protection. So are you burdened for our missionary partners? You know, we have missionary partners in this church that are going into some very dangerous places. 
Our church planner in South Asia has been beaten up a few times going into villages. Our missionaries that are in the Middle East that are going into a, a, a highly Muslim area, are, it's difficult terrain. So we need to be praying earnestly, not only for the Lord to raise up missionaries and church planners, but also praying for their spiritual and their physical protection. We need to be serious about prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says this, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now, that's a great prayer. That should be a missionary prayer. When you pray for church planners, when you pray for missionaries, Lord Jesus, I want your word, I want your gospel to speed ahead. And when it gets there, I want it to be honored. I want the word to get out. We want the word to go forward. We want the gospel to speed ahead. So the first question we've looked at is, what's the context? These 72 are going into predominantly Jewish areas to share a message to Jewish people. Secondly, why do they need to pray? Because there's a lot of lost people, and the laborers are few, and they need the spiritual protection. But here's the third question. What is the heart of their message? What are they going to say when they get into these villages? What's their message? Well, if you read this text carefully, it involves two proclamations or two statements. And they're very, very important. And we don't quite catch the importance of them because we're not Jewish people living at that time and understand our Old Testament. But here's the first thing that they're to say. And we find it in verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Peace be to this house. Now, was this just a common greeting back in those days? What does it mean, peace be to this house? There is great significance in going into a Jewish house and pronouncing peace. Shalom, the Old Testament word. Shalom or peace upon this house house. If you're a good Jewish Israelite, you would understand the importance of hearing peace coming to you. Remember when Aaron blessed the people? We often use this as a benediction at the end of our, our worship services. In Numbers 6, 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The greatest thing an Israelite could experience was the peace of God upon their life. This was read earlier, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. When these Disciples enter a house. Literally what they're saying to the, to the house is, do you want peace with your God? Do you truly want peace with your God? And here's the only way you can get it. It's through Christ alone. Now we've already seen how Luke combines peace with salvation in his gospel. 
We've already seen it, but let me remind you. Zechariah's testimony, or Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, when Zechariah prophesies about Jesus, back in chapter 1, Luke 1, 78-79, this is Zechariah. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Messiah is going to bring peace. What did the angels announce to the shepherds in Bethlehem? We sing it at Christmas time. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Peace be to this house. Now, how does Paul define peace? Paul takes it in his epistles and unpacks the theology of what it means to have peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What they're saying when they walk into the house is, do you want peace with your God? Do you want salvation? And it only comes through, and here's the second part of their message. The first part of their message is, Peace be to this house. I said there were two things they said. What's the second? Well, you will see it. Verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, here's the second part, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God is near. In other words, if you want peace with God, there's a king of the kingdom And he's near. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Christ. Jesus has come on the scene. He's been working miracles. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's the promised Messiah. He is the king of the kingdom. And as the king of the kingdom, he is near. Notice it says, the kingdom of God is near to you. Peace be to this house, the kingdom of God is near to you. In other words, these disciples are saying, you can't put off submitting to the king. This is not something that you can brush off. There is an urgency. We're coming with a message, an urgent message. If you want peace with your God, you need to submit to the king of the kingdom, your Messiah, Jewish people, the king, Jesus. You've read about him in your Old Testament. You've seen him perform miracles. The kingdom of heaven is near to you. Do you want peace with God? Submit to your king. Now, some will receive Jesus as their Messiah. Verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 10, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. There will be some that receive Jesus as their Messiah, but there will be some who reject. And what are they to do? They're to go out and wipe the dust off their feet. Now, what does that mean? We talked about this about a couple months ago. When a Jewish person would leave the promised land, when they'd leave Israel and they'd go to like a pagan Gentile area, they became corrupted because they left the promised land. And when they came back to the promised land from their travels, in a symbolic way, they'd shake that pagan dust off their feet to say, ooh, yucky pagan dust, I want my feet, I want to have holy feet to come back into the promised land. 
what they're doing when they're shaking their feet off at those Jewish people who rejected their Messiah. They're basically saying to those Jewish people, you're acting like a rebellious Gentile. You're rejecting your Messiah. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you, and you've rejected your king. Now notice what the message is. Did you see it twice? The kingdom of God is near you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to receive my Messiah. If you reject the Messiah, notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 11. Even the dust of your, of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whether you receive Jesus as your king or whether you reject Jesus as your king, the kingdom of heaven is near to you. It's near to you in salvation or it's near to you in judgment. But the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is near. If you reject your Messiah, you won't have peace with God. You'll have judgment. So here's, their message is very clear. They go into a Jewish home. Peace be on this house. If you want peace with your God, the kingdom of God is near you. Your Messiah is near. Repent and believe in your Messiah as the king. If you reject him, you will still receive the kingdom, not in salvation, but in judgment. So there's an urgency to respond. Today is the day of salvation. Now here's the fourth question, and this is where it gets a little tough. What's the dire warning in this passage? Let me say this very clear, because maybe this is something you've never heard before. Greater exposure to Jesus brings greater judgment if you reject him. Let me say that again. Greater exposure to Jesus brings greater judgment if you reject him. You probably grew up thinking there were no degrees of punishment in hell. This passage of scripture will disagree with you. What does Jesus tell us? Let Jesus speak for himself. What does he say in verse 12? I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. What's that day? The day of judgment. Now, what do we know about Sodom? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for their wicked sexual immorality, and they will be judged on that final day. God destroyed them physically at a point in time back in Genesis 19, 24 through 25. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. The Lord rained down fire. New Testament writers give a commentary, 2 Peter 2, 2 verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Jude verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. There's no doubt that God rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. And every Israelite is basically going to sit there and cheer and say, yes, on the day of judgment, 
Jesus, rain down fire again on Sodom. Do it again. They, they, they were flagrantly wicked against you. On the day of judgment, rain down Sodom, a fire on Sodom. Every single Israelite would say, give Sodom what's coming to them. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon. Okay, what do we know about Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon are Gentile cities. They're Philistine cities. They're cities on the north coast of the Mediterranean Sea. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 23, Ezekiel chapter 26, Amos chapter 1, God pronounced judgment on Tyre and Sidon for their wickedness. So you have three pagan cities, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon. Pagan Wicked cities. And every single Israelite would stand up and say, Yes, God, on the day of judgment, give Tyre and Sidon what's coming to them. Give Sodom what's coming to them. But then Jesus drops the bomb. And it's a big bomb. What does he say? Verse 13, Woe. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. A woe. A woe was used by the Old Testament prophets to announce impending judgment. When you hear the word woe in the Bible, it's not a good thing. It means judgment is coming. Jesus is pronouncing a woe on three Jewish cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Now what do we know about these cities? What do we know about these towns? They're all in Galilee. They're all Jewish. These are the places where Jesus did the majority of his ministry for three years before he goes to Jerusalem for that last week, especially Capernaum. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Matthew calls Capernaum Jesus' own city, not Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, but Capernaum. You know what happened in Capernaum? That's the town where Jesus fed the 5,000. That's where Jesus taught in the synagogues. That's where Jesus healed the sick. Jesus spent almost the majority of his ministry in Capernaum, in Galilee, doing miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick. And the privilege that those people had for almost three years as they got to see Jesus in the flesh. They got to see Jesus perform miracle. They got to see Jesus feed the 5,000. They got to see Jesus in action with their own eyes in the flesh. But what did they do? They rejected their Messiah. And what does Jesus say? It's going to be more bearable for these pagan cities that did not have any clue who I was than for you, Capernaum, who had me here for three years. It's going to be more bearable in the day of judgment for the pagan cities than for you. You're going to have a stricter judgment, Capernaum. Jesus says, verse 15, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades. That, that means hell. Capernaum, you're going to suffer in hell. Verse 16, Jesus summarizes everything he said up to this point. 
The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. If you hear, if you hear and you receive Jesus, the peace upon this house, the kingdom of heaven is near. You have salvation through your Lord. Paul, in Romans 5, remember he said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. As you go further down in that passage, in Romans 5, 8 through 10, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Notice the language Paul uses. We were enemies of God. We were alienated from God. And we were under his wrath. But through the death of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, we've been reconciled. We have peace. You can only have peace to this house when you submit to the king of the kingdom who brings peace through his cross. If you reject Jesus with all the privileges and all the blessings and all the exposure that you and I as American Christians have, there will be a greater suffering of judgment in hell. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Pay close attention to what you've heard. Don't neglect this great salvation. Don't reject Jesus. Here's the thing. The unreached person living in the deep, dark jungles of Africa or South Asia or wherever, they will suffer in hell for their sin. But the person that's been exposed to the gospel over and over and over again and rejects it, they will suffer in hell, but it will be a greater punishment in hell. It will be more bearable on the day for the unreached person who's never heard of Jesus than for the American Christian that heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, and rejected it. These aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus. Don't shrug off your privilege. Don't disregard the blessings that you have living in America. You see, there's a privilege and there's a peril. There's a privilege and there's a peril. Here's the privilege. You have exposure. You've heard the gospel. Your kids are growing up in church. You've got Right Now Media. You've got YouVersion. You've got YouTube. You've got podcasts. You've got books. You've got magazines. You've got ultimate exposure to the gospel. What a privilege. What a privilege to have the message. But what's the peril? The peril is if you reject it, if you reject or neglect such a great salvation, there will be a greater judgment on that day for you. So what's the response? 
What's the response to the message? The message has come to you. Peace to your house. The kingdom of heaven is near. How do you respond to that message? Well, notice what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. Look at verse 13. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, what does he say? They would have what? repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes repent now what does it mean to repent repent really means to change your mind and only god can do that for you but it's a change of mind you begin to see who you are as a sinner And you begin to see who God is as a holy God. And your mind begins to change and you undergo this conviction from the Holy Spirit. And you realize that you're sunk. You realize that you're lost. You realize that you may be trusting in your own righteousness or you may be rebellious. But you come to that point where you come to that point of of crisis, conviction, where you know absolutely that you're a sinner bound for hell. And that the only way you can escape is through faith in Christ. Jesus has already told us what it means to repent. Back in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Repentance means this. I'm turning from my self-sufficiency, my self-love, my selfish desires, my rebellion, myself, my sin. I'm turning from that. And as you turn from that, you turn toward Jesus in faith. You receive the king of the kingdom, the only one that can give you peace with God. Acts 3, 19-20 says this, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Now here's the thing. You've heard it. You've heard the message. There's no excuse to walk out here today and say, I didn't know, I didn't hear There's the privilege of having sat under the preaching of God's word, and there's the peril of leaving this place, rejecting what you've heard. And the only answer for all of us is to repent. So let's hear again Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is near to you. What will you do with the king of the kingdom? who's near to you right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Not much more I can say than what you've already said in your word. So I pray that your word hits home in all of our hearts, that every single one of us walks out of this place knowing that we have peace with God, because we've received the king of the kingdom whose name is Jesus. We've repented of our sins and we've trusted in him alone.
would we walk out of here with the confidence and the faith and the encouragement knowing our sins are forgiven we have eternal life because we have peace with God. And if there's anybody in this room that's wrestling with that or questioning that or struggling with that, Lord, I pray that you would just meet them at that deep point of need the power of your Holy Spirit, bring conviction, and Lord, would you just bring about new birth in their hearts? Would you bring about faith Would you do a work of grace that can only be explained by your power? We love you, Jesus. We honor you. And Lord, as a side note, help us to be those that pray for our missionaries, pray for our church planters, pray earnestly for the Lord to send out harvesters. Lord, help us to to not ever take for granted the privilege we have of living in America with exposure when over three billion people are living without it. Oh, Lord, would that burden us to pray more earnestly. Lord, let it break our hearts to know that that many people don't have access to the gospel that we have access to all the time. Break our hearts for lost people. Break our hearts for the nations. Call up missionaries from this church. Send out workers into the harvest field. Help us to be a people pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.